All right, here we are. Welcome back to Bookwave, back for another Wavecast. This is number 11. Today we're joined by Will and Pat, as usual, and we got back Synapsian from, from the olden days of the podcast. <laughs> Returning guest star, we're bringing them all back. So what's on your mind, lads? What do you want to talk about? Let's start with you, Synapsian, the guest of honor. Yeah, coronavirus is on my mind for sure we've been stuck at home for like two months and then our governor released us like wild uh hogs back into the into the world and as <laughs> expected you know the cases are starting to go back up again so that's kind of uh disheartening but a lot of stuff has been going on because it's been quite a while since i've joined one of these uh book waves you know i've read a couple books myself moved out to the country uh living out by the lake canyon lake here in texas still married right on good <laughs> uh let's see i got uh, one of one of my dogs had passed away i think mm -hmm. i mentioned that to you guys once and then my other dog you know now she's the only pet she enjoys that but we think she has leukemia so oh. just you know dealing with that kind of stuff busy busy with work now that they've released us again actually this week i was uh i don't know if i mentioned uh i'm in the nuclear safety industry so i go do inspection hmm. at places who use nuclear material and that's what i was doing this week did like nine inspections pretty busy week wow that sounds interesting at the very least yeah yeah right now the morale seems to be pretty low like every place i went to had violations uh, which i can't really go into but say they didn't seem like they were doing too good i think because mm. all this other stuff is going on in the world so maybe they're distracted and not able to think about all the small details you know, just not practicing good habits and stuff. Yeah, and that can, that can be hard, especially like just in general, but in the midst of this pandemic, trying to figure out how to improve yourself while also trying to survive, it doesn't really mesh very well. And it's like, how you do anything is how you do everything. So if you're already in a situation of crisis, you're not going to be looking at your small details. And I think that like, cause it's weird. There's like this dichotomy where when things are good, you should be able to change, but because it's comfortable, you don't want to change. And then when things are bad, you should have to change, but because things are bad, it just in many cases dredges up even worse stuff. And it's like, so what is the perfect environment to promote elevation of human consciousness to meditate and, look inward and assess how you're doing everything because it's clearly not mm -hmm. a pandemic that that is not what is going to drive millions of people to meditation and reduce <laughs> their triggers and resolve ptsd I, I don't think we've seen that in these past three months well i would argue that that's kind of a good thing um i guess there's two sides to it but the benefits of just staying at home and learning how to meditate during these tough times is a good way to be able to take a look at yourself on the inside and learning to build confidence in solitude. I think that solitude can open up a lot of, I guess a lot of pathways for lack of a better word, because when you have so much external noise in the world, mainstream media, social media, all these different laws in regards to the pandemic, and as well as people who are choosing to ignore, uh, you know, safety laws, not wearing a mask and everything like that, just going about their day, you know, live and let live, die young and all that jazz. Um, it's a good way of just taking some time to learn about where you are now and
and asking yourself if you want to change. Like, for example, I'm actually, this weekend, I am planning on just uh, getting off of all the, you know, all the electronics of this, um, avoiding mainstream media and all that, even reading books um, and not mm. doing anything. It just, just being able to spend an entire weekend alone and just my thoughts and write them all down. Because I think that's a, I think that's a healthy habit one can learn. Now, of course, in this day and age, people are um, prone to seven seconds of attention, but um, but taking the time to actually just listen to yourself is uh, is a great way to build a healthy form of confidence. Yeah, that uh, those words kind of remind me of what timothy leary said about turning on the circuits inside yourself and tuning into the divine aspects of your soul or spirit and dropping out of all of those distractions like electronics or reddit or instagram or whatever there's like it seems like there's an infinite number of distractions these days and someone could easily spend every waking moment glued to the changing environment because you know everything there's so many variables right now that are constantly changing the number of people that are getting sick and i think pat man last time the last uh, wave cast number nine you were talking about like what would it take to unite all of humanity like what existential or otherworldly threat would it take to unite everybody on the earth and this virus kind of fits into that. It's not necessarily otherworldly, but it's definitely on a size scale, like orders of magnitude smaller than most things we interact with. So it's, you know, you can't see it. So maybe you could consider it otherworldly or kind of an alien thing, even though yeah. it came from our planet. Wasn't it Ronald Reagan that said how quickly the world would unite if? faced with an alien invasion or something like that some kind of alien threat yeah and i think we did unite um for a while it seemed like the the world was agreeing to flatten the curve you know that mm -hmm. saying that we've all heard but then after two months of that you know people were starting to say well screw the curve we need we need money and I think you can't really expect, like, I think I was deluded to think, well, just because there's, uh, everybody has more time on their hands, they'll meditate. But if you're filled with the three poisons from Buddhism, you know, desire or greed, hatred, anger, and um, ignorance, it makes sitting down to meditate and reflect on yourself to tune in and turn on it makes that really difficult because you want to get up and go get something you want to get up and uh respond to that tweet hmm. respond to the tw president's tweet or something and change the world through a couple characters so it makes it really hard to just sit still and look inside if you got those those three poisons yeah, yeah. especially when it comes especially when it comes to the idea of work hustle like, I don't know if you've seen videos on YouTube about people just putting out topics about how to get so much done in less time, which is, which is, you know, understandable if, if one were to think about it, but just the idea that you have to work all day, get so much done to get ahead of everybody else, that also can be overwhelming. Yeah, I think it's important to find the middle ground there. Like, I'm just thinking about how it's so easy for us to say, hey, you got all this time, why don't you start to learn how to meditate? But I remember the first time I tried to meditate and, you know, my brain was a complete mess. So I'm just trying to think what it would be like to try to meditate for the very first time with my mind being a mess and also being completely panicked about the pandemic and everything. Might not be a good combination. For sure, sitting in silence 
or even sitting in front of a mirror and, and meditating is mm. like an advanced practice from my understanding. And for beginners, guided meditation is really helpful where you're listening to somebody guide you through the steps of relaxation. Um, like I often go to Audio Dharma or the uh, Buddhist Society of Western Australia. Uh, they have really good guided meditation. And they're on YouTube or Audio Dharma has got their own website. Mm-hmm. Shout out a plug to them. <laughs> Yeah, I really like the guided meditations. I use, um, I don't even know what the app is called, Mindfulness Insight Timer. Okay. And it's, so anybody can get on there as a creator and put up their own guided meditations. So it's, it's sort of a free market. Like you don't have to pay for anything. Um, and oh, wow. what happens is you have creators that know what they're doing and, and do it well and do a lot of it. And you get some pretty good variety from them. But I find that for what I'm specifically looking for, it's hard to get maybe the chunk of time that I want because you've got people who have niched themselves into this corner market where I don't want that. Like maybe I want 15 minutes or an hour, but I've got two minutes, five minutes, 30 minutes, and then an hour, but it's an hour about relationship guided meditation. And it's like, okay, so we've got, a lot of people making a lot of content that's addressing certain people but not sort of the baseline meditations that i'd be looking for where it's just take a take a minute and and do a guided relaxation or take a longer minute and do a guided relaxation and so that's that's an issue so i'm gonna have to check out what you're referencing for sure i mean if, even if you only have two minutes you could do a simple meditation placing one hand on your Heart, one hand on your belly and tuning into your breath mm -hmm. and that that can be uh even if you have two minutes it can be pretty profound um just remembering you know, you're this breathing entity and the breath gives you life kind of a stoic tradition yeah and just watch yeah. the body and watch what the breath does to the body and how the body reacts to the breath and how it's all linked together I think that's a really lofty task, even like when we're talking about how easy it is to start meditating, like the, mm -hmm. the concept of, of being in touch with your breath and your body and, and realizing like, okay, this is the breath of life and to value that and not take it for granted it is something hard to do. It requires a slowness of thought that is hard to get to, especially when you throw into the mix cell phone addiction and yeah. social media addiction when you're looking for a seven second dopamine hit putting your hand on your chest <laughs> when you're high in anxiety because you're freaking about out about the newest missile launch that trump's done or the newest bigoted thing that's come out of 17 different states it's hard to say oh this is gonna help like <laughs> that's for not sure. where we tend to go yeah but i think it's important to like mention these kinds of things because like when a lot of people think of the word meditation, they're all going to think of something different. Like it's going to be some people, oh, you meditate, so you just sit on the ground and, you know, think about nothing for half an hour. I'm like, well, not really. <laughs> it's more complex than that. <laughs> and yeah, for sure. Like, you can get into like other breathing exercises too, like Wim Hof and the the four five seven technique and all kinds of stuff so those are all really I, good forms of meditation i personally don't do the guided meditations that often i really prefer to just clear my mind and watch my own thoughts and try to clear them all away i think a lot of people when they assume you're meditating and have zero thoughts in your mind and they try to do it and realize mm -hmm. that thoughts are you know, constantly passing through their mind like a cloud. Uh, I think they assume they're doing it wrong because yeah, having exactly. Thoughts, but, but you're gonna have thoughts. You know, you just don't get attached and you let them dissipate. Yeah, and then like when you notice, like, oh crap, I got distracted by this thought. I've done it wrong. It's like no, no, no. That awareness is the right thing. Now you can return yeah. to center. And it, that's the point, is not to 
not get attached to the thoughts it's to notice the attachment to the thoughts and then let them go yeah as soon as you've noticed it it's working that allows you to go back to your center back to your breath and then you'll get better at it it's like when you start lifting weights you can't do like 15 reps of 100 pounds right away gotta work up to it (laughs) yeah and i think it's it's definitely a muscle that's being built but it's it's a familiarity and and a relationship Mm -hmm. that's being developed as well i think for me getting into meditation like doing years of yoga in advance was very helpful because when you do yoga even if you're distracted by all of your thoughts if you can get through a sequence of exercises at a subconscious level you've taken time out from your day to nurture your body and that helps erode those sort of hang-ups and those complexes that they talk about in yoga that are in your mind so that when you do finally go to meditate you've already started a relationship with your brain and your brain's comfortable again talking to you about this crap that it, that's the best word for it and you don't get that sort of trigger anymore because it's now okay this is a relaxed individual who's going to respect me and we can hang out here but I, like when you first start to meditate and especially if you've got like anxieties and depression things like that or anger lots of anger yeah. <laughs> you go into the depression and you see these thoughts and you, you just you you run away because you're not ready to face it and i think that's why i, I push the yoga a lot is because it's it's impossible to not feel better after you do a sequence of yoga yeah, and I probably wouldn't have got into yoga if I didn't have like a back and shoulder injury. Then I pretty much cured myself with it, so changed my life. There's no reason to stop now. And I see all these people that are that are not flexible at all, can't even put their arms above their head like that without hurting themselves. I'm just like I I I can't allow myself to become that. Like I need this. This is an upkeep. This isn't just something that people do to make themselves feel better. It's it's something that I need to do to keep myself on the level kind of thing. Uh, have you yeah. ever seen like a really <laughs> old guy that has such a punch in their back, they look like uh, Quasimodo or something? Oh yeah. Like, just because of bad posture their whole life. And yoga is all about, you know, keeping the spine straight. And... So just sitting, you know, yeah. with a with a straight spine can help uh, you from looking like a hunchback. That's another form of that's another form of meditation right there. When you start to notice that you're slouching over and then, oh, yeah, stand up straight with your shoulders back. What am I doing here? Like you start to notice that more. That's a sign that you're getting better at mindfulness. And then you feel better after you sit up straight, because a lot of times you maybe you're in a funk or you're feeling depressed. And so your body is going to reflect those mm-hmm. uh, feelings. And so you'll notice you're, sl- you know, slouching or not sitting straight. And then you just sit up straight. And even if you have to do a push-up or you, you know, push your face into a smile, if you're sitting straight, you're going to feel like 10 times better than you were. Oh, yeah. Try to do like 10 push-ups in the morning. Oh, for sure. Morning workouts are the best. Um, yeah but like that's why i got into yoga too right because i was like why is my back sore and what can i do to help it because the pain clinics didn't have answers and so i got into yoga and the answers started to become really weird like maybe my back's sore because i'm angry maybe my back's sore because i'm stressed maybe my back's sore because i'm not doing the right things in the part of my life that has to do with spirituality and then I went from yoga to meditation to hypnosis to diving deep into the brain and trying to figure out, okay, where did I learn how to react? And is that how I want to continue to react? Or can I teach myself a new behavior? And like, I I would not have guessed four years ago when I jumped off that bridge into the water and injured my back that (laughs) this is where it would have landed me, but I am very thankful for it. Well, it got us into a book club. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) There's a really good uh, psychologist who does some YouTube videos. His name's Gabor Mate. He talks about that. Like, why why is it that we 
react the way we react. And I found that to be really interesting. Um, and speaking of yoga, I've actually started this project working with my neighbor who's part of like this junior league. And so I'll guide them through a yoga class on Zoom. And it all kind of catalyzed because everybody was home using Zoom. Um, and she asked me if I could do a yoga class over Zoom. And I, I first thought, well, I don't know if that's really possible, but we made it work. Got a tripod and hmm. set it up and do like a 15-minute yoga class over the internet. That's awesome. That's really cool. Um, speaking of, we were talking about uh, the world uniting uh, before we started talking about meditation and yoga and uh, what it would take, what existential threat would it take to unite the world. And I mentioned that I thought the world united over this coronavirus thing. But the other thing I've noticed is after it went on for a while, after everybody kind of got fatigued from flattening the curve, you know, at the executive leadership level, at least in the U.S., uh, it's kind of fallen apart. You know, I don't know what to make of that. It's kind of, uh, it is a bit scary. Yeah, it worked for a little bit, and then it just seemed to make things worse afterwards. Yeah, and I'm wondering, you know, we see people uniting over this Black Lives Matter stuff up in Seattle, and they've created their own, like, zone, I yeah. guess. The, I don't know if the you chaz. call it the chaz or the <laughs> chop. <laughs> I think they've, uh, but, you know, haven't they taken it down now? Is it still a thing? They're about to. Okay. Slowly but surely. All right. I don't I even was, know anything I mean, about that. They were Consider yourself the lucky then, Will. <laughs> They, they were calling it the Summer of Love, and oh. you know, I'm curious how it's going to end. Because, like, the Summer of Love in 67 just kind of petered out in October of that year, uh, peacefully ended. I don't know if this one's going to end as peacefully, you know? Well, it's, it's already like not peaceful as far as I've seen. Yeah, there's a lot of angry people out there, and, and they seem like they want you to be angry over their you know, the uh, injustices that they're protesting. I don't even know what they're protesting. The United States? <laughs> so they're protesting yeah. against uh, police injustice and police brutality. That's why the president said something about, like, outlawing chokeholds, which I, I don't really agree with. They're really upset about, like, you know, if a black man dies by a police officer that like really gets the hornets riled up like that George Floyd guy, you know, he got, uh, murdered by a knee bar to the neck, which mm -hmm. I think the knee bar to the neck is, it's an effective move, but for eight minutes, eight and a half minutes, I don't know. That's kind of, it's kind of whack. This also wasn't a jujitsu match with a referee. This was a fully armed officer and a, you know, whatever. <laughs> he should have yeah. known better. That was not a chokehold. Trying to ban chokeholds mm -hmm. in response to that is like, I don't even know. Try Trying to ban beef after too many people get sick from McDonald's. Well, it's like protesting rape. Yeah. Nobody That's... likes rape. Nobody likes racism. You're not, like, really accomplishing anything by saying this was wrong. When all anybody you, can say was, of course, we agree with you. <laughs> and, like, I'm certain that, you know, the social justice warriors that don't follow us um, would jump down my throat and, and yell at me and call me ignorant and short-sighted and part of the problem and white privileged and, you know, propping up a patriarchal oppression system. That hey, what good is free speech? What good is free speech if we don't use it, right, Will? <laughs> exactly. But the thing is... I've been asking myself why I think since I was four years old and I think in the past week or two I've started to realize why I've been asking myself why and I'll explain that a bit more so Please. philosophy I think we've all established in this room is really good and I think the answer to why people should study philosophy is because 
when you don't have a leader who has studied the philosophy of the movement, what you have is a movement that doesn't know where it's going. And it can get incredibly treacherous when you have a movement that is primarily being the momentum behind it is from mob rule and it's ignorant, short-sighted and fueled by rage. And the fact that there's no member of any community standing up and putting that burden on their shoulders and saying, I will lead this movement. I will tell you what our credo is. I will tell you what our philosophy is. I will tell you what our end game is. Like I saw this quote from AOC, whatever, (laughs) Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. <laughs> and the quote, so from what I understand, this is an individual who is a, a politician. Yep. I think, right? So politicians should theoretically have an education and be able to make political suggestions and advice. But instead of doing that, she offered a quote that said, if you were really upset about oppression and racism, you'd be pushing for protocols that did something to deal with it. Well, since you, like, so, since you don't know her origin, she wasn't a politician until she got elected. Her last job was a bartender. So she's like right. a, a champion of the people type of personality. Right. So that's a pro as far as I'm concerned. If you're going to make a statement as a politician that doesn't offer a suggestion of course of action, and you're just going to tell the masses to fight for something, they'll follow you you're a politician you put yourself in a position of authority and they trust you and they respect you and certainly one demographic does and now they're in the streets and they're pissed off and they don't know what they're fighting for they don't know what it will look like they don't know how it will impact situations they've never studied the history of societies that have battled the same issues and tried to use the same resolutions and failed miserably and it's like that's why you need philosophy because good intentions line the road to hell And if you don't actually think through what you're doing, you're going to find yourself in the middle of a civil war and you're going to realize very quickly that that's probably not what you were after. That's the thing. They don't know what they want. No, because they're not thinking and they're not aware. They they aren't even individuals at this point. I think I have a, I have a kind of a theory about this, why they are so upset and, destroying everything in the streets i think from a young age they did not get attention from their parents and in the age of electronics their parents gave them an ipad or an iphone or something and they just spent their time looking at this screen and you know making make-believe in these fictional worlds and not getting enough care from the mother and father. Not as role models, not as caretakers, not as teachers of the world. And as they grow up, most of the, and by the way, some of these people in uh, Chaz, they're uh, like under 20 or so, I would say in their late teens and uh, early 20s. And as they grow up, they're going to use their own make-beliefs from these electronic devices and all these stories that they got. And also because they did not learn from their parents. And they're going to incorporate it into the real world. As well as whatever ideology that's going to be spilled at them They're just going to accept it. And that's how they get so angry and they don't know what they want. I think that's the case is because they had a lack of caretaking from the parents. I think, yeah, I agree. I think I can't agree with you because I was just as pissed off and my mother is the greatest woman in the world. And um, I didn't go down that road and I could have, and I, I, I remember being a liberal for five minutes and then I met Justin Trudeau and it was over. Um, but that didn't happen for these kids. And I think I also got pissed off at technology and, you know, 
I did a lot more binging on 4chan and stuff than they did. You know, I put in work on the internet and I, I got into the dark web and I saw what it was doing. And for the past 30 years, we've been feeding people this message that says, if you have a big enough emotion, people will listen and you will be important. And it's not about having a good message. It's not ha about having a good intention. It's just about getting noticed and like i don't know if you guys saw jenna marbles just took down her youtube channel because she's like calling herself into check because she has blackface videos and stuff and she was contributing to this environment where you don't even know what you're doing and we got technology that allowed us to do it very quickly without checking it and that fueled and created an entire generation of social justice warriors hi mom or wife <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think you're on to something but the doggo is pretty distracting <laughs> All dogs but like i think technology's been training a generation to get triggered yeah i think it's been doing it intentionally i think it's been doing it to turn people into consumers that graze on news feeds and shit on news feeds <laughs> And then buy stuff on Amazon. I think it's... And I don't think it's enough. As well as this idea of fame. And if you look at the number of content creators on YouTube with millions and millions of subscribers, most of the time there are videos from smaller channels talking about some of the stuff that they're going through. Mostly drama stuff. And I think it I think that fame also fits into this other fits into this subject too, where they think that they can take the easy route by saying they can create whatever they want, go after it, they're special and all that, and just reach for the top because that's what everybody else is doing. It's a big trend. Yeah, and I think what we're seeing now is that it's not enough. And that's why we have like the audience going out into the streets and looting and pillaging and protesting. And that's not all of them, don't get me wrong. But guess what? If you're a part of a movement that has any arm that is doing it, you're part of the problem. Because anger doesn't resolve things. That, that you, you do not get to a good place when you start with anger. And I understand the notion of needing to be pissed off, but every single Hollywood movie has been telling us to fuel your passion with your anger. Channel the energy. Use do the not, dark side do, of the force. Do not explode into the dark side of the force. <laughs> Channel your energy to do good. And that's not what's happening. There's no processing of the emotion. It's just puking into the streets. And that's ugly and terrifying yeah i think the biggest part of it is just our relationship with this technology not the technology itself because uh 100 oh, yeah but there's a that just like oddly reminded me of one single part of a book that i read last year called sapiens by Yuval noah harari and he mentions this instance about how wheat and agriculture is what domesticated humans because when we look at oh what domesticated the dog scientifically speaking there's not much difference between a dog and a wolf but when we look at a dog and a wolf clearly that's two different things same with like a bull and a cow and a human now after agriculture and what we were before are completely two different things so I think we're going through the same kind of transformation with social media because it just kind of popped up we didn't know how to utilize it properly or what utilizing it properly would accomplish for us and it kind of trapped us into this lane that we had to follow to allow ourselves to continue on this path it cut off a lot of other routes for us like now we can't yeah. go back now that we have this whole system with grocery stores and agriculture and farming there's not an easy route back to the you know paleolithic diet kind of thing and it's the same thing for our psyche with social media and newer technology 
to jump off that idea, Scott, one of the books I had read was by Noah Yuval Harari, 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. Oh, yeah. And it talks a lot about like artificial intelligence, uh, social connection, how to ultimately navigate that in a way that doesn't harm individuals and society. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were a couple other books I had read. I didn't know if you guys wanted to. Sure. What have you been reading? Uh, discuss. So I, I, I read that 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. I read uh, Kindness and Wonder by Gavin Edwards, which is kind of a documentary of Mr. Rogers. I read The Secret Wisdom of Nature by Peter Wollabin. Hmm. hmm. And uh, I finished The Harder They Come by T.C. Boyle, fiction. Big fan of T.C. Boyle. He really describes uh, people in a realistic way. And the one I'm working on right now is War by Sebastian Junger, which I think mm. one of the first books we ever read was Sebastian Junger's Tribe. Yeah. If you guys recall that way back in the day. Yeah, we didn't even record that one. We just read it and hung yeah. out. That was before my time. Yep. <laughs> So what have you guys been reading? Uh, well, this crazy thing right here, Beyond Good and Evil. By Just, Frederick you know, Nietzsche. the densest stuff we can get our hands on. Yeah. <laughs> the Bible and Beyond yeah. Good and Evil. Just <laughs> a, a match made in heaven. Oh, yeah. I have my Bible right here. Oh, there you go. Oh, yeah. What's that, What's that thing? This is actually... a little guy. Yeah. That and um, Beyond Good and Evil, I've been reading that. Um, actually, I've just been reading writing manuals lately, just to freshen up my writing, because I've been doing that a lot. And I'm curious to read more of Haruki Murakami. Um, hmm. There's a, I actually got a Kindle book deal from BookBub, uh, where one of his books was like two $2, and it was it's called 1Q84. And I've heard that one is kind of it's kind of polarizing because for one thing, it's a, close to a thousand pages long. And there's a lot of shape shifting as far as linear narratives go. Um I don't know. Patman, last time uh, on the Wavecast I heard you talking about this app called Forest. And I was wondering if that kind of helped you um, yeah. turn off some, drop out of some of the devices. Yeah, it has. It's definitely okay. worked uh, for um, for when I'm focusing on writing or just work in general. And um, in the app, you can actually, when you earn coins, for those who don't know, you can plant a tree for a specific amount of time, and then after that, you earn coins. And if you exit the app or if you use any other app, uh, Forrest will notify you, hey, your your tree is dying. If you go on YouTube and look up, you know, spicy memes, your tree's gonna die. <laughs> and you won't earn anything for it. And you can use those coins to buy other types of trees, or you can spend the coins and uh, send them to this charity who plants real trees out, oh, in, wow. uh, out in the Congo, I think. Nice. That's really cool. Yeah. It, it kind of reminds me of a role-playing game, and I've been using this app uh, called Do It Now RPG, where you set up different tasks that you need to do or habits that you want to do, like make your bed, brush your teeth, take a shower, cook, a, cook breakfast, cook lunch, cook dinner, all those kind of uh, basic necessities. And when you accomplish them, you get coins, and then the coins you can use to reward yourself based on user-created uh, rewards. So it might be like go to the movies or watch a movie or have some candy or something. <laughs> Whatever yeah. reward the, you know, the user wants to set up for themselves. I just use post-it notes and to-do lists. I'm behind on you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Very stoic. Yeah, 
I, I don't. I guess I don't whatever works. Right? <laughs> I I hate looking at screens so much. <laughs> I will That's avoid it at any opportunity. And yeah, if your goal is to get away from screens, maybe post-it notes might be uh, a good option. Yeah. Just going back to books that we've been reading, I'm also doing this one. The Gallic Wars by Julius Caesar. It's pretty interesting. It's all about how he conquered all of Gaul, all the different tribes. What uh, cool. What time period was that supposed to take um, place? Like 400 BC or like uh, I think much? it's around 300, 400 AD. AD, okay. Yeah. Or is it before? I'm not sure now. You've got me questioning everything. Because weren't there a couple <laughs> different Caesars, I mean, throughout history? Yeah, Julius, Gaius Julius Caesar was like the first Caesar, and then his name became like the title for everyone else around him, or everyone else after him. So like Marcus Aurelius and Commodus, they both called both of them Caesar as well. Like his full name was Marcus Aurelius Antoninus Caesar or something. I don't know Aurelius. I don't know how how the names worked back then, but it's pretty wild to read about, and it just goes back to one of my favorite questions to think about in general. Like Alexander was great, but was he good? Hmm. So have any thoughts on that i don't know if i have a direct thought about it but like so obviously we're reading the bible and i'm mm -hmm. so ignorant about all religion and i'm talking with lots of people about the bible and all sorts of religions because like there's just so much to it and i'm talking with one of my friends and he's I think you would say he stems from an ethnic background of Muslim. Okay. I think that's that's how I'll describe it. I don't know what he practices today, but I know where he comes from. His historical and tradition. So, exactly. <laughs> He's indigenous to Muslim. <laughs> and and uh, so we're talking about, you know, the empire of Christianity and the, the Crusades and the, the Jesuit missions. And his argument is that it, it's still an empire today and it's still got a lot of control on the world and that they have done a lot of inappropriate things and I haven't even gotten there yet <laughs> and it's like every time I start talking about the bible with people they want to talk to me about Christianity and it's like it, it doesn't seem like anybody around me has any idea that Judaism is like the first two-thirds of the holy bible like and and then to find out that you know Muslim was created post-Christianity and it's like it's just opening so many windows to possible conversations that it's baffling. Like, clearly humans need religion. That's why we've got so many religions. Clearly humans like gods. That's why we invented so many gods. I know we invented gods because certain groups said that other gods were fake, which means that some of them are made up. And when you look at like the Jesuit missions creating North America, right? Like you, you're sending over people that aren't, you know, soldiers or aristocrats, they're criminals and poor, and they're coming over with these Jesuits to establish this community, maybe be because they love their country, maybe because they love their God. But my education never taught me why we needed religion and why this was the right religion it was just sort of indoctrinated and there were religious people and no one figured out why we got there and whether or not this was the right religion and what happens is people start fighting wars over these things without knowing why we're fighting a war or whatever the reason whether it's religion or a different banner it seems like people want to go to war and be right and have someone be wrong instead of actually looking at the world and saying no we're all on this planet we need to unite under one flag and it's just it i'm trying to tread water yeah and it's, <laughs> it's it's not even the wars for that religion it's the civil wars between those religions 
Like, there's a great quote that I heard in a YouTube video yesterday when I was getting ready for our next Deuteronomy recording. And he said that the the decision to pick which books went into the Bible was decided on the battlefield. I'm like, wow. <laughs> like, they yeah, went I don't to, hear about. They went to war to decide, you know, is this book worth putting in the Bible or not? So that's pretty scary to think about the history is, yeah. there. Hey, Will, I have I actually have a novel that ties into your conversation that you might want to check out. Let me get it real quick. Great. All right. It seems like a lot of the wars that the Israelites were fighting were just over like force. <laughs> like just over what? Know, Sorry. War skins. <laughs> <laughs> what will will YouTube allow that? Yeah, uh, I don't care. If you were a woman and liberal, <laughs> you could pretty much get away with murder on YouTube. Oh jeez. Yeah. So this but is. But I the never. Book... Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say that this is the book that I would recommend you read. Will. Shushaku Endo. Yeah. Got it. Print screen. And this nice. was also adapted into a movie that came out by uh, Martin Scorsese. But it's essentially a Jesuit in the 16th century trying to find his master who went missing in... Um, Does he climb up a waterfall? No, he doesn't. Uh, he oh. travels a lot of a lot of places. But um, he's a Portuguese priest looking for his master. Who plays while, the Jesuit while... in the movie? Andrew Garfield. Oh. No. Andrew Garfield as well as Adam Driver. His I just like I just watched a movie about a Jesuit like two weeks ago. <laughs> that was probably Could you hold it up again, Batman? Uh lower it a little bit. To your left. There you go, okay. Pull it back a little bit. <laughs> What's it called again? <laughs> cool. It's called cool. silence. I'm wondering, can you get rid of the sheet that's on your couch and just do that all again? I'm sorry for anyone who's just listening to the podcast. These guys are being asked. <laughs> hey, so this is the Wavecast uh, number 11. Do we have any patrons out there? Uh, not yet. You oh, guys are no on supporters quite yet. Quite a lot of uh, you're on a lot of different platforms, right? Like you're on Anchor. You have a website. Yeah, Anchor feeds to pretty much the rest of them, except for YouTube. I upload separately to YouTube as well. And the blogs yeah. are on the website, www.bookwave.club. Boom. <laughs> but yeah, we do have a supporting donation box for monthly donations if you're interested in that i actually was considering oh. becoming a patron yeah i i know that we're not on patreon and i know that they right. hate conservatives yeah if they went after sargon <laughs> then they might go after us so you know and you never know <laughs> what was like, that i, I just Isn't i think it? we just said uh, uh, I think we just have our own, you know, tip jar or whatever. Yeah, it's attached to Anchor. So. So I wanted to go back to what, to the beginning of our conversation with in regards to the coronavirus and just kind of losing all faith in, you know, flattening the curve as well as tying into what's going on here in America with, you know, riots and everything like that. Since, since we are, there's, there's a lot of people who are essentially lost and they don't know what to do. And the coronavirus is pretty much keeping us sheltered and everything like that. So I think the best way to live the fullest uh, is to just essentially do the one thing which is to find what you're passionate about and build it build it innovate it if that's one thing that you can concentrate on and you can also apply this to meditation as well 
just think about what you want to innovate. The more you practice that every day and develop that mindset, the farther you go with your life. I think that's what's missing right now. Yeah, I think a lot of people are stuck in doing things, stuck doing things they don't really feel passionate about. And if you're doing a job just because, you know, you're making minimum wage and it pays for the food you're eating and all that, but if you're not passionate about it, it's going to feel like you're walking uphill like Sisyphus. You're pushing that rock uphill. You're going to end back down at the bottom. But when you're doing something you're really passionate about, time just kind of disappears. You go into a flow state. And you don't really, you know, there's not that resistance. Yeah, you just get caught in the habits. Yeah. I think, like, there's 7 billion of us, right? And if all of us had a thing we were passionate about and we were all doing it, what would that look like? You know, like if, if the droves of masses that are buying their Cheetos and their Mountain Dew and their new movie and they're grabbing their People magazine, if they shut that all down and said, you know what, I have an idea, I'm going to create it. And everybody did that. Like, how does that happen? How does that work? Is Is this system actually able to support people innovating and producing things that are unique to them in every capacity. Like who's buying it? Who's selling it? Why are we even buying and selling it at that point? Why are we fighting wars over trade routes? Why is it that inflation exists? You know, like there's all these weird economic global factors that make me doubt that 7 billion people could ever actually be passionate and aware. Yeah, and I think you could even rephrase it to what if all of the world was one religion? They were passionate about that one religion. Let's say it was Christianity and the Bible. Eventually, I think you would have fractions that say, well, we don't we don't want to get uh, circumcised or we, we don't want to go to church and um, all, we don't want to adhere to the commandments. And then they would end up disbanding and kind of forming their own group. And I think that's what happens in the world. It's just we have so many different fractions and groups, and some of them are at odds with the with the passions of the other group, and then you end up with like war. And it it sucks that there isn't something that comes before religion, like the the notion of countries and continents has separated us so much that it's like i have a social security number as a canadian resident i have a canadian passport and if a american wants to come here he needs to bring his american passport and if an american wants to go to paris he has to go through customs and then if he loses his passport in a foreign country it becomes this huge crisis where all of a sudden you stop being a human and you're a foreign entity in a foreign land and you aren't able to just go through these systems that have been designed for convenience and consumerism in the way that you were a minute ago. And the United Nations says, yeah, we, we respect you. We recognize your basic human rights, but they don't have the governing bodies, the policing masses to be able to actually do anything about it. Like the, the notion that clean water is a basic human right doesn't hold water. <laughs> If there's dirty water up north and no roads to it and a thousand people living there drinking it every day and no one wants to spend the money to get it up there, the basic human right of fresh, clean water doesn't do anything. And I think that we've sort of localized all of our ability into these bubbles all around the world where we're now flying different flags and no one in any nation is saying we're all humans and there should be basic systems that apply everywhere in the world and we have you know states like north korea where it's like you ju- you're just not going there and it's not an option you're n- they're not human 
They are not someone that you get to visit. They are a different world. And it's like, that's absurd. Like, how how is it that we got that far? How did everybody say, yeah, let's war over, you know, these stupid things and hold ourselves back this much when we have so much technology like we, we've created technology that replaces a thousand humans and what we have is a thousand humans using a thousand machines and it's just like we're still in the same laborious crawling on our belly state that we've been for 1500 years it's just prettier and shinier and we don't even remember where colors come from because we have a billion of them in a three inch brick in our pocket yeah i think that's part of like the dirty little secret of religion is that when any of them talk about people, they mean their own people against yeah. the other people. They present an us versus them mentality, which we don't have anymore to the extent that they did because we're starting to realize that we are just all human. And we say North Koreans aren't humans. They're just, it's not that we're calling them like a subspecies. It's just that they're not joining the rest of us we have this yeah. club of humanity and they're doing their own thing yeah so. like they deserve to be equal to us they deserve their basic yeah. human rights but we do not as a world as seven billion soldiers we do not have the capacity to do anything to help them yeah and say we and have seven billion problems now having seven billion people simultaneously working on those seven billion problems think we'd get them solved a lot quicker but it's like it's so easy to forget what you're supposed to be doing like you can have a conversation with someone and they are in rapport with you you're making eye contact their body language says they respect you and they're interested in what you have to say they're appreciating your your feedback and advice and they're saying yeah that i haven't thought about it that way that really makes sense and then they go on their phone and 10 years go by Hmm. Yeah, it's like that one. Familiar. It's like that one story of the prince from Egypt who is sent out west to find a pearl, but instead he walks into a town. The people give him a drink, and he falls asleep, and he wakes up, and he forgets that he's a prince. Hmm. Pat, that's the most wonderful thing you've said all day. That was so lovely. Just lovely. <laughs> an old story i really liked it really old story yeah well this that's idea... just it, like go ahead no no you uh, okay i was just gonna say this idea that we you know people have used religions as kind of a land grab i mean i'm sure you guys have discussed it in the book waves about the bible of the israelites basically asking their uh, Abrahamic mountain god to help them with victory. Yeah, I have um, some more but... notes on that topic too for our next recording to close out the Torah. Yeah, I'm it's looking kind forward of to a, that. It's kind of a conundrum uh, because what you were talking about, Will, like religion, I, I think you said religion is inevitable or like the first thing that people go to when they're lost. I think there is something before that. I think it's what I would be hesitant to describe as anything other than the ineffable, ineffable. You know, it can't be described, but then people want to name the ineffable and they create a God. They create a religion. They put their God on a pedestal above all others. And then that pro that aspect of creating a name for the ineffable eventually leads to naming everything on the earth you know like in genesis you'll name all, all the plants and animals and have dominion over them and that eventually leads to like taxonomy classification of nature science itself so without that problem of naming everything i don't think we would have a a technological society like we do it's basically the idea of eating from the tree of of knowledge of good and evil 
allowed people to name the world and have dominion over it, but it also led to the problem like North Korea. People are named as cogs in a machine or a brick in the wall. Um, yeah, that's when we went beyond good and evil, started naming it for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, Nietzsche goes into detail about that. Remember that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that, so it's interesting you bring up naming because something my father was telling me, he was reading this article, there's this word in the English language. I don't know. I don't know if you guys have heard this. Locks. L-O-X. Yeah. And okay. so what does it mean? Pat, can you tell me? I've heard the name, but... Do you, do you know Synapsium? Isn't locks like cream cheese? You're close. You are close. And I'm not... I, like, this was a, a test you were going to fail. But <laughs> lock, locks is salmon. And nowadays it, it traditionally means smoked salmon. And mm. apparently in New York City, locks bagels are a staple. And the, the word has never changed its spelling or pronunciation significantly in 8,000 years. Hmm. It has always meant salmon, and it has always sounded like locks. And, like, this is an ancient Judeo word. And so I was talking, like, from that, I stemmed off, and I turned to my wife, and I said, so if you think about the notion of empires and civilizations rising and falling... If I'm a country and I speak language X and you're a country and you speak language Y and I convert your entire country, now you're all speaking language X. Well, language Y has died. And then you can look at, okay, so if the language dies, there's probably a relationship to the culture that's dying off as well. But if locks has survived for 8,000 years, that speaks volumes to the culture that created it and perpetuated it and the reach of that culture across civilizations and then you just quickly juxtapose it with some of our words that we've created when was the last time you guys said bootylicious <laughs> it was put in the dictionary in 2011 that was probably the last time i heard anyone else say it was 2011 <laughs> <laughs> And it's like, so we're in this trend society where things can literally pop up, blow up big, and then burn out. Like fidget spinners. Remember those things? <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, we're, we're grasping at innovation, and we're grasping at production, and we're grasping at consumerism. And it's, it's not getting very far. The only things that are surviving are the ones that are consuming other smaller things. Like you look at Facebook and Google and Microsoft and Apple, those guys know how to stay in the business of being in business, but they aren't a human thing anymore. You know, like they're this giant corporation and, you know, it's not even a country that's saying, oh yeah, we make Apple because Apple isn't made in America. It's, it's this thing that's made wherever it's cheapest and quickest. And then it's distributed to as many people as it can. And it's like, so what's the survival rate on a company like that? on a culture like that like iphone bitches you know the or, cult or <laughs> or the idea of elon musk making electric cars yeah although to be I thought... to be honest he is innovating at a faster rate and has gotten us pretty damn far as a society as far as business and technology goes I nominate Elon Musk as the next deity of the new world religion. <laughs> there is well, this idea. Let's just write a story. Let's just write a story about how he is actually the offspring of some ancient deity. We'll figure it out. We, we don't. It, it's no. going to be really easy. His name sounds weird, and his son is an archangel. Yeah. yeah. Give it 2,000 years to percolate, boys. We've got a religion. We just need to write a story. That's all we need. A, a and it's really the right little time. fairy tale. It's like the change of the year. We're right around the year 2000. So it's a good time. Mm hmm. Yeah. And plus, there are songs made by him. Well, there are songs about him. My dad asked me a couple weeks ago if anybody was selling Elon Musk bobbleheads yet. 
Oh, I'm sure. Hard to find. You can get them on Etsy, but okay. there's no big corporation making the Elon Musk bobblehead. So there's an innovation. There should be like, you know, a little pop figurine of them. A little Tesla astronaut jacket. I think that'd be cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'd buy it. Give it a minute. It'll, it'll come. <laughs> as soon as they see this podcast, they'll be like, why haven't we thought of that? <laughs> yeah. And those bobbleheads are probably going to glow in the dark like that one coffee mug they sold. Oh, I hope so. You know, I was just thinking about how we were talking about religion being inevitable and the ineffable coming before religion, but what could come after religion as maybe this idea of psychedelic thinking where you're not necessarily naming the whole world. You're just immersed in it almost in a, a flow state a meditative state and i had this quote here written down I wanted to see if you guys could guess what entity i'm talking about um, i won't name the the book because that would give it away uh, see if you guys can guess this so the entity says i'm old older than thought in your species which is itself 50 times older than your history Though I have been on Earth for ages, I am from the stars. My home is no one planet. For many worlds scattered through the shining disk of the galaxy have conditions which allow me an opportunity for life. What do you guys think that is? Any guesses? Hmm. Is this the sun? Is the sun having a conversation with you? Is this a riddle? <laughs> It's it actually mush mushrooms. Okay. Um, it's from the book Terrence McKenna's book, How to Grow Magic Mushroom. Um, and the reason I brought it up is I think there is something there in the psychedelic realm, and there's different plants that are keys to get through that. Uh, but a different way of thinking beyond religion. I don't know. I just like the idea of psychedelic thinkers and finding the others out there. Yeah. We brought this up when we were talking about the burning bush, actually. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, How maybe that... we can talk more about it as we, so what we're going to do Deuteronomy in like a, a formal book way. Yeah. I may have to jump out cause my phone okay. is saying it's out of electrons. Okay, we got a decent sized podcast here, a little bit over an hour. Yeah. It's good to catch up with you. Yeah. yeah. Should make this Welcome a little back. bit more of a regular thing here. Yeah, I was really glad to be able to jump in on this one and see that you guys are doing really awesome stuff. Really proud of y'all. The website looks thanks, excellent. Man. Oh, thanks. Will did all the work. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do all the work. I've done some work, but there's much work to be done. <laughs> all the work that has been done, Will is responsible. <laughs> <laughs> there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm hoping one after. I'll the... oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Will. I'm hoping after the Deuteronomy uh, podcast to just kind of post the the Torah series as a post. Yes. And then try and stay consistent after that. Yeah, we got them all on YouTube as a playlist, so you can and check like that out. And like the website, it, it posts the most recent podcast on the homepage too, right? Correct. Bookwave.club. Yep, yep. Well, well. till next time, may the force be with you. Later. Or equal to mass times acceleration.